Hello there, I'm Marina Mahadeo. Welcome to Busy Reading Books, a podcast where we'll explore the world through words, featuring some of my favourite books and authors. Hello BRB listeners, we've got an exciting offer for you. Get an exclusive 10% discount at Book Access, Malaysia's leading book retailer. Just use the code ZAFIGO10, all caps, at checkout before 6 September 2021. It can be used store-wide except during flash sales. Happy shopping! Okay, hello everyone. This is Marina again uh, and we're here with episode 5 of Busy Reading Books, the podcast that is brought to you by zafigo.com, my travel website where you can learn about all things travel. And through this podcast, we hope to travel the world through books. Today, we have a very special uh, person here. Well, she's special to me. So let me tell you a little story. In 28, 2019, I went to the UK to do my master's in creative writing. It's formally called master's in biography and creative nonfiction at the University of East Anglia. And I was extremely nervous about going back to school again after so long, but I was very lucky, I think, because I had a very nice class. I think we were about 12 or 15 people Um, very, very diverse, not just in age, uh, but also in nationalities. I was the second oldest person in the class, while my friend Pierre Motetwa from Myanmar was, if not the youngest, certainly one of the youngest. But somehow we bonded, probably over the fact that we're two of only three people, wasn't it? Um, in the classroom Asia and there were just so many things that I could relate to in what Pierre wrote especially about being a young Asian person studying and living in the West. Pierre is now back in Myanmar and is working on her first book which is an essay collection titled You've Changed. I can kind of guess what that's going to be about to be published by Catapult in 2022. Amazing. So today I'm going to chat with Pierre Motetwa, who's currently in Yangon. Hi, Pierre. How are you? Hi. I'm I'm doing okay. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're all right. You're safe, given that all the things happening in Myanmar right now. Yeah. Um. You know, I, yeah, like I said, I'm doing as okay as I can be. Um, You know, I have a roof over my head. I have access to Wi-Fi. My family and I are all physically safe. So I know we're all, you know, really fortunate to have all of those things. Um, And yeah, it's definitely weird to be on, you know, the job side of things, writing a book during this time, but I'm, I'm hanging in there. Thanks for asking. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm also busy trying to write my book. I guess that's what we did the course for. (laughs) I thought it it was so exciting to hear that you you got a book deal, you've got an agent, and your book is actually going to come out uh, next year. So tell us all about it. Um, So the book is called You've Changed. It's a collection of essays. And it just talks about, um, because I had a bit of 
um, and unconventional childhood. You know, I grew up in Yangon, but then I went to the to the U.S. to do my undergrad there, <clears throat> and then I did my master's in the U.K. and you know, that happened when I was a teenager and in my early 20s. So really just like, I would say some of my most formative years. And that was just really for me, because I wasn't living in like, I never thought I would immigrate to the US or the UK. I always knew I would come back home. But so I would always be going back and forth between these countries, and also these cultures. And just like, it just really just, you know, radically shaped my ways of thinking um and just so the book is just called you've changed because it's just yeah it's about me changing I guess in all the ways that like that kind of constant you know back and forth between cultures like what that does to you when you're when you're like 17 18 well I pretty much had the same sort of childhood I went mm-hmm. off to school in the UK when I was about 17 uh, to do my A-levels and then university after that so I do understand uh, what you mean uh, by, you know, kind of navigating your way through these mm-hmm. different cultures. But what I found, you know, it, it was really quite good, I think, because when I was abroad in the West, I kind of found it easier to try and define myself, in like mm-hmm. what was eastern about me mm-hmm. uh, because when you're here everybody's the same more or less everybody kind of thinks the same yeah you have no foil as it were did mm-hmm. you find the same thing yeah absolutely um when you know one thing I always say for instance like one example I can think of in my head is and I write this in my book is when I was because I I've known I wanted to be a writer since I was really young but when I was here in Yangon and you know I would like take English classes or would do writing I didn't I was like how do I be a writer without like being like a quote Burmese writer you know I was like I just want to be a writer I don't want that to define me whereas once I moved to the west it was like I I I became really proud of those things in my in my writing but at the same time I was like oh I don't want because I would take creative writing classes and you know most of them would be like white students taught by white professors and I I didn't want to be you know like the Asian writer but at the same time I was like I was really proud of my my culture my heritage and I had to nurture that and I had to like see like how would that how does that come up in my writing like what what would um how would I represent my culture and myself and my writing without exoticizing it you know or like being like the token Asian writer so those are a lot of questions that came up but I totally get what you mean like I had to kind of like yeah it made me more proud to be because when you live in Myanmar right you don't really think oh I'm proud to be Myanmar like you're just like that's what it is but when you're in America when you're in England suddenly you're like oh no I I have to hold on to my background to my culture and yeah so I totally get what you mean (laughs) yeah and and I think you know nothing wrong with that I think it enriches um writing because mm-hmm. you know why do you want to hear the same old stories all the time we, we need new stories uh, but at the same time do you find that when you're home and what you write do then people accuse you of being not Myanmarese enough or more westernized you know in your point of view because I, I sometimes get that Oh, definitely. Um, <laughs> absolutely. Um, another chapter in my book talks about the fact that I, you know, I write in English. Um, right. 
and that's just you know as, and I can't I can't write in Myanmar like I you know and that's just for me that's really been a struggle and it's still a struggle of like you know like what what does it say about me as a writer as a proud Myanmar writer that I can only write in the language of like my colonizers essentially you know and that's something that I struggle with a lot and so I I totally I totally get what you mean <laughs> yeah I, I have the same problem I mean I barely barely write in Malay at all I I can speak it and mm-hmm. occasionally have to give speeches in yeah. it to write it in a way that is you know, of a standard. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I remember like long time ago before I um, before I got married even, I was working in a PR company mm-hmm. and I would write press releases uh, in Malay. And when I sent them out and when I saw them published, I found that the newspapers had actually corrected my Malay. <laughs> it was so embarrassing. It just made it so much more elegant and so that's really inhibited me from from writing. In mm-hmm. but, you know, there's so many young Malay writers writing in Malay and in English. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think that I have to fill the gap that yeah. they're important enough. So, yeah, you know, this cultural thing. I remember your essays from class, mm-hmm. which, were, which were lovely. And I, I really liked them because to me, they really encapsulated a point of view that that the West was just quite ignorant about. I mean, because, Mm -hmm. you know, for the first time they were seeing it from our point of view, you know, how we looked at them because they don't don't have that mirror ever, you know, especially not from a former colony mirror. Mm -hmm. And, And I was amazed actually how they didn't know very much actually about their own colonial history (laughs) history and they knew uh european history maybe but not so much the history of colonialism when they had colonized half the world practically yeah Uh, did did you get that feeling as well that you know sometimes it was like huh should Um, we know yeah yeah definitely like when i was in when i was in england and this was when like very recently, so two, three years ago, even then, I have, I would definitely talk to people, and admittedly, these were like, you know, older generations, who would, like, at one point, be like, oh, but we, we brought civilization to Myanmar, like, specifically, I'd be like, no, I you cannot I, say that, we were all savages, <laughs> it's like, oh, no, <laughs> I, I know, I know, I mean, I mean, it's not that, you know, over here in Malaysia, you know, I, we were grateful for the kind of order that they brought. <laughs> you know, uh, road signs and <laughs> administrative systems. And, you know, my husband is Indonesian and mm-hmm. they were colonized by the Dutch, which was a totally different thing. They didn't bother with ad- admin or anything like that. And they just left. So, you know, in comparison, we had it good. (laughs) But at the same time, I mean, we found that also this this, uh, tendency to want to order things may not necessarily be be in our order of things, right? Not Mm -hmm. the way we organize things. And and that, I think, causes a lot of 
because there's a lot of uh, friction uh, sometimes. And do you think that some of the things that you're facing in Myanmar might be from from that from that history, because it was very divide and and rule, you know? Um, yeah, there are. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, you don't, and that's another thing that I think a lot of Europeans don't realize is that you know the effects of colonialism are still here today in 2021 and like all of the countries that colonialized it wasn't just a case of oh they left and now everything's done like they there's it's like you feel their effects every every single day and yeah I, th- I think the, the the short answer is yes because I think colonial the effects of colonialism I don't know if they'll ever you know disappear completely because it it just shaped everything um I I'm just thinking of like off the top of my head for instance one thing I can think of is I have you know I wrote an essay about names right and Myanmar names and stuff like that and you know here in in Yangon for instance one thing that happened once we gained independence was the new government um, changed the names of our roads because they were named after all these old white people that the right. white people were like, oh, these are like the heroes that we're going to name the roads after. Right. And then the, the new Myanmar government changed all the names to honor, you know, Burmese kings or like to our heroes, essentially. Right. Um, but at the same time, when you when you talk about it, these roads, especially older people, they just switch back and forth between like the English names or the Burmese names, like just what they were used to, you know, because if you grow up being used to call it like this one English name, you're just like, you know, you don't even like mean it intentionally. You're not saying like, oh, I miss colonialism, but it's just like, oh, this was just what it was called when we were growing up. So stuff like that. It's like, it's still here day to day. And I feel like a lot of European people don't really realize just in like, even just everyday things, it's, you know, it's still here, like colonialism has left an impact for better or for worse. Yes, exactly. We have the same thing. I mean, we didn't immediately rename um, streets and places Mm -hmm. uh, after independence in 1957, but much later, Mm -hmm. uh, there was a movement to change. For instance, we have our port, uh, it used to be called Port Swettenham, Mm -hmm. named after Frank Swettenham, who was a, a British resident. And now it's called Port Klein, which is what we call the place. And many places like that. And I remember when they first started doing that, a lot of people were saying, oh, you're wiping out history. Mm. If we don't have these names, then we won't know the history of the place and mm. all that. And at that time, I thought, yeah, you know, it's, it's important to keep it. But now, you know, like, for instance, Frank Swettenham was an incredible racist. Yeah. <laughs> Why on earth? Yeah. Honor him, you know? I, yeah. I, went, I went walking past our museum the other day and there was a statue of him there. And I thought, oh. hey, you know, um, well, now he's at the back of the museum and you probably, <laughs> it's probably just as well, you know, when you see, you know, people pulling down statues in the West. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we did it already. <laughs> in a more dignified way, probably. <laughs> so, Pierre, you know your book? How many essays have you got in it? Uh, I believe it's 10. Yes. Oh, 10. But 10 long ones must be. Um, no, it's... The total book is about 
60, 60,000 words right now we're still editing. So it might be shorter. It might be longer. So they're not, they're not super long. I think, I think they're like average, average size. Average. Essays. <laughs> Classroom long. What was it? 5,000 or 5,000. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ah, and, and were any of those, the ones that you had done in class or are they completely new or? No, there are there are definitely a few that I've done in class, and two two or three of them are ones that I actually did for our dissertation. But the so the name one, for instance, I did that in class. Um, that's in it. Um, there's one about rice eating rice. Did we? Uh-huh. I think we workshop that one. Yeah, that one's also yes. in it. Did and you include the wrestling one? Did I? No, I did not include oh. the wrestling. One. <laughs> <laughs> next book i'll write a whole book with wrestling so, so tell me how did you come to get this publisher and and all that i'm extremely jealous by the way because you got it so early <laughs> uh, I mean, you I mean, we got it around the same time though so i i just i think we we did you know yeah you got it around the same time uh, as yeah, I, did. I think uh the agent some an agent saw your essay in the anthology that Came out. Yeah, yeah um i'm i'm really lucky yeah because we sent out that anthology and my agent Haley, who was amazing reached out to me and that's how i signed with her um and so then we worked we Haley and i worked together on this book for nearly a year like about eight nine months just drafting back and forth and then finally she was the one who had to be like okay i think we're ready to send this out because if it were up to me i would just edit forever i think all writers are like that right you're just like i'm not done yet no one can see this yet (laughs) but she was like no we can send this out so we did and i was really lucky that catapult in the u.s and specifically a mega majumjo who's my editor who i'm i'm a i was a massive fan of her work before before we even like my book even went out so to work with her is a dream and we talked and we just clicked and I I definitely think um the fact that you know she is also an Asian writer a South Asian woman writer also helped because there are so many things in my book that I was you know when I was writing it I was like oh what what would you know like what I have to explain this would an editor be like oh yeah you need to you need to define this term or you can't do this but with her it was just because you know, uh, the rice essay for instance it's called there, which is a you know a Myanmar phrase it's a Myanmar and I was like would they make me change that to an English title and I asked her this and she was just like no like this is fine this makes complete sense and I'm, I'm really lucky and I'm you know I'm very I feel very grateful that especially for my debut book I get to work with a South Asian woman writer for this for me that feels really special <laughs> You are you are so lucky. That's really wonderful. And I read Mega's book, The Burning, and I I loved it. I think she she really got it got it right. And I I hope it does well. Uh, but yeah, that's that's one of those things that I've been thinking about. That when in Asia, you know, we have all our words, and some of the words just do not have exact English mm-hmm. equivalents. Mm-hmm. Uh, or some things are just much more nuanced um, yeah. in our own language. So, so how did you deal with that? Did you include many of those? I mean, besides the title of, of one essay? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. There are definitely normal words. Um, there's, there was an essay in there about feminism and like laundry, which talks about this Myanmar concept of poem, which is about, which is this, 
like innate power that men are believed to have. Um, it's like, like this innate, like spiritual power thing. So, you know, the essay is about that. And I just kind of, yeah, and there's no English translation for that. So you yeah, just yeah. describe it. Um, but yeah, there are Myanmar words throughout, there are Myanmar phrases throughout. And I, I don't, I think I, I try to do, I don't want to do that thing of like offering a definition in the footnote, you know, I'm like, right. I just, cause I, I, I kind of write how I speak. And so, and I want my writing to reflect that. So I don't, so when I speak, I don't like pause to define a certain word or a certain term and so I just try to use you know context clues basically to right. explain something but without explaining it because if I because I was like if I give a definition of every Myanmar word in the footnote or something like that then I'm specifically catering right to a very specific exactly. white western reader and I was like yes. I don't want to do that and so yeah. that's that's just how I, <laughs> I'm yeah. doing that. you know we we have you know Malaysian writers who are also grappling with that and mm -hmm. one of them Hannah Alka who, who uh, is a young writer and she's done a really great book called The Weight of Our Sky and and she said in in one I think panel or forum or something she said I'm not even going to italicize yeah yeah that was a very big thing for me because for so for so so long that has just been a thing in my writing and I you know I write freelance as well as a for my full-time job as well and you know you send it in and I get that certain sites certain publications have their own style guides and they italicize quote foreign words right, right. but for me I was this was I genuinely did, thought that I would have to fight in my book to not italicize you know, my words I thought this was like a real battle but I'm I'm so lucky and grateful that catapult just doesn't do that it's just not in their style guide they don't italicize foreign like non-white non-western words and I'm so lucky about that and I'm so lucky and I'm so grateful for that because I've seen books and I've seen articles like I read an article just this morning talking about Myanmar where you know the Myanmar words are so italicized and like every time I see that I'm just like I don't I just yeah. I'm just like that's a very like specific battle of mine that I always yeah, fight. Yeah. I'm like, don't do that. <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, this is the battle, right? I I went to watch the movie Minari the other mm. night. Have you heard of it? It's an awesome yes. contender. Yeah, yeah. And it is it is about a Korean family that's migrated to the US and mm -hmm. you know, make trying to make their way in Arkansas. Mm -hmm. And most of it is in Korean. Because mm -hmm. that's what they would speak at home, uh, but it is made in America. Uh, it's executive produced by Brad Pitt, no less. But yet, it is under the foreign film category. Yeah. Why? Because more than fifty percent of it is not in English. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember it's reading so that. Amazing, you know. And the producer is saying, and the director is saying, yeah, actually, it's an American story. Mm -hmm. It is one of the American stories. So you know, <laughs> but, but that's I think what the whole world is grappling with, yeah. like identity and who gets to decide who is who, and you know, who where do you belong to, and, and, and things like that. So, so what are you reading these days? Um, what am I? Yes, <laughs> I've been I've been trying to read because I I did go through a phase for like several months where I just stopped reading. I just couldn't. Yeah, I just couldn't want. I didn't want to read. You know, 
because I was just so because I was working on this book and also I was just so when I was done working on the book and I was done doing my freelance stuff I was just so like mentally exhausted and it was just reading just didn't provide that kind of escapism that it used to you know because I always grew up an avid reader and for a few several months I was just stopped reading but once I started reading again I realized that like I'm a much better writer when I'm constantly reading because now when like when I'm reading I'm like oh I can use that or I I can observe like oh this is how they do that and I'm just such a much better writer when I'm reading. Yeah. Do, do you find that I find that especially since doing the course that now I read books as a writer. Yeah. I'm you know don't you find you're constantly looking at their structure you're constantly looking at their phrases and yeah yeah and but at the same time, you're sort of mindful that you're not going to copy. You know? yeah. <laughs> you're inspired, you know. I, yeah. And I'm, I'm listening on audiobook, uh, Joan Didion's The Year of Magical Thinking. Have you mm. ever read that? No, I haven't read it, but I've read a bunch of, um, I'm, a, I'm a big Joan Didion fan. I haven't read that one, but I, I love, I love Didion's essays. Yeah. Well, you know, she writes creative nonfiction. I mm-hmm. mean, it's kind of reportage, but it's also written in such a way it, it's so simple I, I I realize you know it's not that she has all sorts of long convoluted phrases or anything they're really short but then they really give you an idea of of you know the situation the environment and everything I mean that the year of magical thinking is, is quite sad right it's about a husband dying a daughter mm. in a coma and everything but it, it's so well conveyed. I don't know. Maybe because the audiobook also. It's read by Vanessa Redgrave. Okay. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's okay. all that emotion also. But what? so what books exactly are you reading? Um, so I actually read a lot of romance novels. I love, like, that's just basically what I read. Like, contemporary romance novels. I love it. Um, like what? Like, uh... I discovered uh, the she's an American writer, Jasmine Guillory, last year, um, and I just read all of her books, like one after the other. I'm obsessed, um, and they're just they're just great. And I, you know, I used because I studied literature um, when I was in university, and I used to think that oh, I have to read stuff like. Jane Austen and Shakespeare and like T.S. Eliot like you know just like these like old dead white people like not even just old dead white people to be like a real reader a real serious writer but that wasn't really what I wanted to read like I liked it but in my day-to-day I don't want to read stuff like that and now I just kind of embrace that I love I love romance novels and I and, and you know still I feel like romance when you tell someone that they're like oh that's not quote real literature and I'm just like that's just such this like weird gatekeeping culture that I've just completely removed myself from I'm like read whatever makes you happy like read what you want to read like yeah that's great but but Um, romance as in I mean what type of romance is this like I don't know whether you ever heard of Barbara Cartland when I was young everyone was reading Barbara Cartland they were she wrote real what they call bodice rippers oh no but nobody ever, ever, ever actually did it. They got close, but never did it. Um, what, what are these more? I hope these are much more contemporary romances that you're reading. Are they? 
Yeah, yeah. So Jasmine Guillory, she's a contemporary. It's like um, like rom coms, but in right. novel form, basically. Um, I'm currently reading uh, "The Worst Best Man" by Mia Sosa. Um, I just read "The Trouble with Hating You" by Sajni Patel. Um, two books that I want to read that aren't romance novels, though, that are next on my list are Girlhood by Melissa Fabos that just came out. That's a collection of essays. And Detransition Baby by Tori Peters, which I've seen everywhere. I've been like, reading like, about that one. Yeah. Amazing. It's up a women's prize and there's a whole bunch of Yeah, people. yeah. Gosh. <laughs> I, I really want to read that. What about you? What are you reading? I am a slow reader, let me tell you. So... I've been trying to up my game because my daughter has set herself some targets and she's read about nine books already. And I've done wow. four. Um, <laughs> I just finished on uh, audiobook uh, Barack Obama's book, Promise mm. Land. And then I'm reading one fiction book by a local right, Malaysian writer called Joshua Kam. Mm. It's, it's got the most wonderful title. It's called The Man in Green who saved Pahang and maybe the world. It's kind of, it, it's really good. It's, it's published by Epigram in yeah. Singapore and it won the best fiction prize or something last year from okay. Epigram. It's, 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 I guess, kind of magic realism. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's quite a wild ride. It goes all over the place. But this guy is just amazing, Joshua Come He brings in, so many references like hmm. cultural references from Malay history, Chinese history, everything. And then religion, there's a bit of Islam, there's a bit of Buddhism, there's a bit of Taoism, there's a bit of Orthodox Christian. I mean, I don't know how this guy does it. <laughs> he meshes it all quite well, you know. So I'm still, um, I haven't finished it yet because I've been so busy. And then I'm trying to read one nonfiction book uh, by Sherry Turkle, uh, which is called Reclaiming Conversation. And it's, mm. um, it's about uh, getting, I mean, it's about what digital devices do to you, especially oh, to wow. young people and how we stop having conversations, face-to-face -face conversations. And therefore we lose empathy. We don't know how to uh, respect different opinions because we're constantly editing when we do just messages right you know, trying to always get the perfect words out and avoiding conflict so that's been interesting but I'm still very slow with it and I'm I have a whole stack of books to read and I'm just trying to get through these as fast as I can and oh yeah <laughs> I, I'm back to I yeah I'm doing Joan Didion's book on uh, audiobook as well so I, I, my, my system, if you can call it that, is one fiction book to read, one nonfiction book to read, and one book on audio. Oh my god! I can only read one book at a time. Yeah, I can only read one book at a time. The weird thing is, I used to hate audiobooks. I was like, I can't concentrate. I keep like thinking of other things when I have it. But now I read all I read all of my books on audiobooks and then I end up buying the physical copies because I love them so much. So I just <laughs> buy the same book ah. twice. But I just 
I, I can only because I think it's also because of the screen thing, because I'm, you know, we're indoors, we're working from home, I'm just looking at a screen all day long that when I read, I just don't want my eyes don't want to focus anymore. Exactly. So I just pop in an audiobook. And it's great. I love audiobooks. Now I recommend them to everybody yeah. when I used to hate them. <laughs> exactly. You know, I, I started a, a a while ago when someone suggested that one of my previous books, my compilations uh, should become an audiobook. So I I tried one out. Actually, it was The Wizard of Oz read by Anne Hathaway. Oh, wow. This is cool because she does the voices of all the characters. Yeah. <laughs> and then that got on and I, I realized it was a very good thing to do if you're on the treadmill, mm-hmm. you know, and and so it went on from there. Now in the past year, I, I have, I've done a lot more uh audio stuff right or read uh, listening to audiobooks and listening to podcasts and and everything and, and that's how we got to doing busy reading books this this actual podcast <laughs> because nowadays you know i mean i like the idea of listening to something while i'm doing my makeup mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't do two brain <laughs> brainy things at the same time i realize you you can't write and and listen at the same time I yeah <laughs> uh, but you can do your makeup or cook or something like that that's possible so yeah so um so are there other uh Myanmarese writers writing in English there are there are um I I was actually talking to one just a few days ago. Her name is Thiri Myojamian. Her book, Names for Light, is coming from Grey Wolf in, I believe, August. Um, and we were talking about how, because she, she's also my mom, but she and her family, um, they immigrated to California when she was when she was a kid and we were talking about um being Myanmar writers who write in English among other things but we were also talking about when we were growing up right and because like I said we loved reading I was really fortunate enough to you know my mom would take me to bookstores all the time and I would buy a lot of books but we didn't see really any books by Myanmar authors that weren't like the only books we saw would be I would say I said but it would be about Myanmar and they would either be by old people or right. white people or right. old white people <laughs> was yeah. often the case. so yeah. um we so we were talking about our books and just how excited we were for each other's books and I realized I haven't really had this conversation with you know another young Myanmar woman writer like ever um right. so there's her book there is uh Mandalay by Mimi which is a cookbook um I I yes, gave it to you that's the one you gave me yes I- I haven't dared tried yet. <laughs> um, and that's a cookbook, but it's also, um, she writes a lot about her family history and about culture and stuff. So yeah. I'm, I, I really love that. There's um, Miss Burma by Charmaine Craig that came out a few years ago. Um, I love that. So, and, the, and those are just ones that, you know, I personally love them. Sure I'm sure there are, I know there are a lot more out there, um, but just hasn't been my my style so I don't really like recommend not recommend it but I'm just like I it's just not something that I like but um theory's book especially I am very excited for for this year um is it out yet no it's coming out in August um it won the Grey Wolf like press prize a couple a couple of years ago yeah but it's it's coming out in a few months and it's called Names for Light um so yeah it's light oh yeah yeah <laughs> nice i mean i'm really excited to discover um 
non-Western writers mm-hmm. you know, who are now, you know, being published uh, internationally and all that, because I, I really think it's time, you know. I mean, India, I, I just did an episode on India. I mean, mm-hmm. India has been like a gold mine for a lot of publishers because so many, so many writers mm-hmm. and, of course, people like Salman Rushdie, Arundhati Roy. But, you know, Asia is not just India, yeah (laughs) (laughs) that was a genuine question because the first time I my uh Haley and I my agent and I we talked with Mega um about my book that was a genuine question I had I said was it is it a problem that I'm not based in America or even England you know to do this book because I was listening to your episode with um Tash Ao that you just recorded and you asked that question you know how do like writers Asian writers who are living in Asia is it because it does feel so opaque, right, to get an agent or even a publisher when you're here, you're not based in America or England. Right. Um, and I, I totally, I totally get what you mean. And that was a question that I asked. And I, well, and Mega was, like I said, Catapult is amazing. And that's never like, they've always published international writers, but she was also like, but this past year with COVID has proven that you don't have to be based in a certain country to be able to do book events, to be able to do publicity. She's like, you have, there's all this technology and that's really proved to publishers. Like, you know, geography shouldn't be a thing that stops you from like publishing quote, international writers, like non-Western writers specifically. Absolutely, absolutely. I think, you know, the, the big publishers are realizing that, you know, as well. And, and that's why, uh, you know, Penguin Random House has mm-hmm. opened an office in Singapore. Mm. Um, they're still building their catalog. It's still very small and a lot of reprints. But I, I hope they're really, really serious about scouting because yeah. I, I really do think that there's a lot of talent, a lot of young talent out here. And, and it doesn't matter what language, you know, because nowadays you you can just translate. I yeah. mean, <laughs> it's the universally universality of the stories that matter. Yes. Right? A good story is a good yeah. story. I, I mean, yeah. I, I read the winner of the... Um, what was it? The International uh, Booker Prize, I think it was a couple of years ago. I would never have thought that I would be interested in the story from Oman, but the way she wrote it, it was so nice. It was written in, in Arabic and then translated. But, you know, it's, a, it's about women and our, mm. our issues are, are pretty universal and, and it resonated. So it, it was great. I was so happy to discover her. Yeah, that's great. How's your writing going? Speaking of oh good stories, God. we haven't talked about your book and your writing. How is it? I'm in panic stage. I'm <laughs> official panic stage. And I'm um, contemplating shutting myself off somewhere uh, where nobody would disturb me. And I just write from morning till night. Um, I had a plan. I would finish my first draft by the end of March and then polish up all of April. But hasn't quite stuck to that <laughs> so many things happening and yeah. I, I, keep, I keep finding new things to do that's the trouble with me yeah. <laughs> um so now now I really have to buckle down and I think with Ramadan starting things usually slow down uh because you know everyone's hungry and don't want to do anything so <laughs> <laughs> I will take advantage of it and just stay home and write hopefully but my my publisher's not not asking, so I'll just keep quiet until <laughs> it's done. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, but yeah, it's coming along. I'm I'm fairly happy with the flow. I'm just uh, having to fill in gaps, you know. And it, mm. it I, I'm sure you find that as well. That when you write a memoir-like thing, it triggers off so many memories. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and like, oh yeah, I got to talk about that. Oh yeah. 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 And, and and because I journal as well. Mm. That's been really helpful because, you know, I forget dates, names and things, you know, and then I go back to the page on that date and like, oh my gosh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's so, that's so great. What's been your, the hardest part about writing? Because for me, I'll say that the hardest part for me about writing nonfiction, you know, memoir thing is now that I'm writing, I know it's going to be a book. The hardest thing is trying to forget that people I know will read this. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh my God. I am so terrified that someone I know will read uh, my book. Know, and mine is all about people I know, you know? <laughs> it, it's, um, I think some of it might surprise them. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it is a concern, isn't it? I mean, what you put in or how you put, things you know know, I think people need to understand that a memoir is your own point of view what what you see and it's valid it might not uh, concur with what you saw what you remember but hey you know you write your own book then you know yeah exactly and I just I have to remember and you know Mega told me that she was just like we're just gonna have to pretend like nobody is going to read this you know you just write like oh no one no one's gonna read this so I just like because there were just some things in there that I I I wrote I was editing just a couple of days ago and I include ended up including this story that I've never told anybody and I'm like this is so embarrassing but it was you know it's it was important to the story and I was like I need to put it in there and I I had to be, I feel like I, I want to be honest with myself, like, you know, and like you said, this is my book. So I'm just going to put what I want to put. And I hope that even, I hope that people, even if you know me in real life and they read it, they don't talk to me about it. Like, I don't want people to be confronting me about things. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm uh, following uh, Stephen King's um, dictum about writing, right? He mm. says the first first uh, draft you close the door so that nobody comes in and reads it and then the second one you open just a little bit so you're nearest and then you open wider I'm still at stage one okay (laughs) I don't know whether the door will ever open because I really don't want anyone close to me to (laughs) I don't want any disputes about what happened right yeah right and then you know, later on edited and, and all that. So anyway, it's been really great talking to you, PA. I'm it's so, so great talking to you. You are well and happy and powering away on oh. your book. When is it? When exactly is it supposed to come out? Uh, right now we're saying May 2022, but I, I don't, um, that might still shift because it was supposed to be September and now it's changed to May. So we're still, and we don't, really we haven't like solidified a date yet but right now we're roughly saying may 2022 anyway it's so great to talk to you pa and uh good luck with your book i'm so looking forward to it thank you for having me this has been so much fun yeah same here (laughs) thanks a lot and keep keep uh listening to us absolutely yeah (laughs) thank you thank you
Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to check out zafigo.com for more travel inspiration. Until next time.